Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Quiet Part Loud podcast. This is episode 120, and thanks for tuning in. Um, if you're joining us as a first-time listener, welcome to the show. Um, if you're coming back, thanks a lot. Last few episodes have been really, really good, and I told you guys that episode 120 was potentially going to be an interview episode, but with the way the schedule's working out, it's probably going to be more like 125, uh, just to kind of keep you guys in the loop, but great thing, we've got three shows locked in. We've got two that I'm recording on the 13th of March, and we've got another, or sorry, two that are being recorded on the 6th of March, and one that's confirmed for the 13th. Waiting on confirmation for the second on the 13th, and then you know, beautiful. We've got four shows banked. One of those shows is actually going to be the new show that I mentioned on the last episode, which is going to be me and a buddy sitting down, talking about films, having beers, and uh, yeah, just just kind of kicking it in a pub and, and doing a kind of different, different show. And I know, as I've mentioned before, there's a ton of these shows out there that do movie reviews and all of that, but that's not what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to look at it completely different. Yes, we're going to review review movies, but it's not necessarily just going to be, I don't know, what I've heard, what I've heard out there. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be one of the shows that we do on the 13th, or on the 6th, I should say, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, the interviews we've got lined up, we've got a, a woman that started her own ad tech business. Uh, she's going to talk about what it's like being, you know, a female... CEO of a startup, uh, what it's like to break into the industry, uh, trials, tribulations, you know, all that good stuff, her motivation for doing it. Uh, that's going to be a fantastic show. And then we've also got the founder of the uh, London Basketball Association, Tony Lazar, confirmed, uh, and we'll be bringing that show to you on the 13th, and then it'll be probably published the week after, um, but details on that will will follow uh but really really excited so we're gonna keep pressing forward but for now you've got me and you know it's not such a bad thing right i mean we've been together now for 120 shows some of you guys uh who have been listening since the jump when we didn't know what the hell we were doing i mean we barely know now but you know we're still working on it and and making it better every time um but when we started this thing, it was terrible. Uh, I can't even, I mean, I don't like listening to myself anyhow, but listening back to those shows is, whew, for you guys that listened back then and have been with us, thank you so much. I got my hands clasped together in prayer because they were terrible. But it is what it is. If you can hear that, I'm just drinking some water gotta stay hydrated but i want to give you an update on the shows and the fact that we are pushing forward these are not just you know things we're talking about hopefully happening we're making them happen and we're gonna bring you guys a whole bunch of content uh and more to come more to come got more ideas again we haven't even touched the video yet so all that great stuff is coming but for now 
as I said, you've got me, and we've got plenty to talk about nevertheless. I mean, there's always something going on, right? So um, first things first, my wife and I were going to take a trip to Italy for her birthday. We went to Italy last year and had such an amazing time uh, that we were originally scheduled to go to New York for like a long weekend and, and do that for her birthday. But she changed her mind and we pivoted and we and she said, why don't we go back to Italy? Fantastic. I was over the moon. I couldn't give a shit about visiting America. Uh, if I'm being completely honest with you, uh, obviously there are some places that I want to tick off, but I'm just not interested. The place is a cesspool, and uh, no offense to any of my U.S. listeners, but I'm happy to talk to you about all of the things that are wrong over there um, and why I don't necessarily need to spend my time visiting. But we pivoted. We decided on Italy, and I was I was over the moon. I, uh, I mean, the best pizza in the world is in Rome. It's not in Naples. It's in Rome. And I could eat this pizza every single day of my life because it's just fucking incredible. And I'm not going to tell you the name of it because I'll fuck it up and I'll get it wrong. But trust me, there are a couple of spots in Rome. It's square pizza. It's cut by the by the size. You basically say, you know, you, you gesture with your hands. I want this much. And bang, cut it off. Good to go. And it's basically paid by the weight. So you can have like four different types of pizzas and it's amazing. You can stand outside and just have a beer. It's it's fantastic. So anyways, we're going back to we're going back to Rome. We're going to Florence. We're going to Venice. We're going to Pisa. We're going to um, uh, uh, Siena. We're going back to Rome to finish off. Over the moon. We're flying 25th of March. Beautiful. Nope. Say, I say, cue the coronavirus. I mean, just my luck. Italy is the worst affected country in Europe with the coronavirus. There's like 11 deaths to this point. There's hundreds of people infected. There's cities that are in quarantine, like villages that are completely quarantined. And they just so happen to be the places that we're going. There are, they've cut the Venice Carnival short by two days to stop the infection spreading. As I said, they've got little villages on lockdown. It's in Florence. It's in Rome. We were going to pivot and go to the south of Italy. Nope, can't do that. It's all over the place. And I may have said this on a previous show. Downplaying this virus like oh well more people die from the flu the common cold every year than you know this coronavirus is is you know compared to how much damage this coronavirus is doing but now i'm just like fuck like it's gonna affect travel british airways are uh offering to postpone your ticket so you can you know rebook it further on in the year I'm just like, I haven't been on a holiday in seven months. I need a break. 
and I was so looking forward to this, and now it's in jeopardy. We haven't canceled the trip because we've got pretty good cancellation policies on our Airbnbs that we've booked. Train tickets and everything that you need to do to get places in the country can be done closer to the time anyhow. So right now, it's just about the flights. So it's not a massive deal, but we're flying premium, and I spent some money on them, and it's not the money I want to go. I don't want the, I don't want the holiday delayed. I was so looking forward to going, and now my wife is effectively saying, okay, let's call it off. which is going to ruin her birthday. And it's just a good time for yours truly all around. But I needed this break, and now it looks like it's in question. And I have to say, I watched an interview with the, I don't know what his name is, uh, Matt Hancock, I think he's the health secretary, give an interview on the preparedness of the government and the health services in this country, in the UK, to deal with the spread of coronavirus. And I have to say I was less I was less than comforted by the responses that he was given and the certainty that it was in his voice when he was speaking about it, about what they can do and what they will do and what they're prepared for. It really did not instill any level of confidence in me that I was like, yeah, we've got this. This guy's got it. Like, okay, sit back. Everything's going to be fine. I didn't get that at all and I, I think that's par for the course in terms of the confidence level we have in our governments these days but when something can potentially spread this quick and I downplayed it before but now it's fucking people up and it's a little too close to home the report that follows the coronavirus reports on the news over the last 24 hours has been how potentially dangerous the coronavirus is and how bad the wait times have been for the NHS. The fact that, you know, 25% of people are waiting two hours plus for their, you know, to be seen by a doctor. And one of the reasons I don't go to the hospital is because they're a fucking petri dish of viruses and sickness and ailments and ill. It's just, I feel horrible when I'm in the hospital. And so I. I go when I'm on death's door. Last time I went to the hospital, I had to have a golf ball-sized cyst removed from my back. It was completely benign, but it fucking hurt, and it was restricting my movement. So I had that was the last time. And don't get me wrong, the NHS did a great job, and they saw me quickly, and they got it taken care of, and it was great. I mean, the, the, the job they did on removing it was actually a butcher's job, and I've got a scar there that I can stick my finger in, but it didn't cost me anything, right? So it's kind of trading off a little bit here. But the fact that the wait times at the NHS are what they are, and the fact that that service is so underfunded and over uh, overstressed, under-resourced, it does not fill me with the level of confidence that I want to be filled with when I think about my government and my health services' ability to contain and prevent the spread of a virus like this coronavirus. And now I'm kind of thinking, all right, you downplayed this before, but how serious do you want to take this? So I was looking at masks. 
my wife was looking at masks. We were going to order some masks, some face masks. I don't give a fuck what people think of me if I'm on the tube and I've got one of these masks on. Chinese tourists have a habit of wearing these. And people always give them a side eye, right? And they're just wearing it anyways. And people give them a side eye. And I've been one of those people. I've been like fucking weirdos. Like, what do you think? But they're right. However, with this virus, apparently, I was listening to a virologist speak about this yesterday. Apparently, this virus is is so small that those white face masks that you buy, they don't do anything. The virus can pass right through the filter. It's that small. The virologist was saying that this virus is small enough that it could be effectively absorbed into your eye ducts and you could be infected through your eyes. Now, that is straight out of a fucking horror movie to me. And I do not have the confidence in other people's hygiene and I do not have the confidence in the cleaning staff of the London Underground to keep these areas of like public transport, buses, trains, tubes, subway stations, all of this stuff. I don't have the confidence in those folks to keep those environments clean enough where this virus will not be easily uh, transferred. If you don't wash your hands when you come off of the London Underground or off of one of the buses and you've touched the rail or you've touched one of those card readers when you go through the barriers or one of the windows to, I don't know, steady yourself because the bus driver's a fucking moron. Unless you've got gloves on, if you don't wash your hands at the first opportunity when after you've left, you're just asking for something. And I don't want to get too fucking gross, but you're talking about fecal matter. You're talking about other people's saliva and boogers and God knows what. I mean, after living in London for, what is this, my 12th or 13th year? You've effectively seen everything. I've seen people pretty much buck naked on the tube. I've seen people cutting their toenails on the tube. I've seen people brushing their teeth on the tube. I've seen people piss their pants on the tube. I've sat in a seat that somebody who got up that I then sat in their seat, that person had gotten up, rushed off the train. I sat down. That person had pissed their pants before they got up. So I sat in a seat on a tube and was soaked full of piss until I could get home and change uh, my pants. So the tubes are fucking gross. And I don't have the confidence in these uh, in these people that, that work there and staff these places to, to keep them clean. This, let's be honest. So I think, okay, what do I do? What, like, what's my record? What's my defense here? My only defense is to basically stay at home. And I don't want to be one of those Howard Hughes recluse type of motherfuckers that becomes a germaphobe. But the consequences of getting the coronavirus in my house is that I've got animals. 
and I don't want to pass it to the animals. I don't know if it exactly works that way. I'm talking complete bro science and out of my ass, but there's like a two-week quarantine process for this while they get you right. And I don't want to put my animals in jeopardy. I got my cats. I got my dogs. Of course, I've got my wife too, and I definitely don't want to infect her if I was to catch it. But I'm the manifestation that is most I'm, – I'm the one that manifests that virus coming into this house, if that makes sense. I'm the one that goes to central London. I'm the one that travels on multiple forms of public transport. I'm the one that interacts with fucking hundreds of thousands of people on a daily basis, right, just by being in the city. And I would not forgive myself for, trying, for bringing something like that into this house because back in the day when swine flu was a thing – Guess who fucking caught that too? And I've got a pretty good immune system, but I just get, I seem to get shit luck when it comes to these things. And I don't want to get the coronavirus. I feel like there's probably already a couple of people in my house, in my, um, in my office that have it that don't know yet, but they're getting pretty sick. They've had to, I've been working with these people. I've been working with these people and I just don't want to risk it if there's something I can do about it. So I think if it gets any worse, I'm going to make a formal request with my work, with my company to uh, work from home until this thing's under control because I just don't, again, it's just, you know, it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the risk. And they say, oh, it's just a flu. It's just affecting, you know, old people. I still don't want the flu. It's like a really bad flu. I don't want that. I don't want to be knocked on my ass for the, the better part of a week or two. The juice is not worth the squeeze in terms of going out to do office work when I can safely do my work and effectively do my work from home. So am I overthinking this? Am I paranoid? Am I, am I blowing this out of proportion? I, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't want it. Because I've had the other ones. I didn't have SARS, but I had the, the swine flu. I had fucking pig flu. I was actually um, trying out for The Apprentice when I caught that. And because I was, I'm not saying just because I was so sick, but I was like, I was ill. Like to the point where I should not have been outside. I was probably infecting other people. But I performed so badly under the lights because I was sweating and I had I was vomiting and I was getting sick, but I was like, I don't want to miss this. I want I don't want to miss the opportunity. I, that was before the show was just an entertainment show that is just not has. I mean, it's so bad nowadays. In the early days, it was more legitimate, and I think I tried out for season three, and I got right down to the final uh, interview stage, and I was almost there. I was like in the last fifty or whatever before they you know they picked the final. Uh, 15 or however many people are on it. But I was I was in that, but I had the swine flu and I was so deathly ill and I just don't want to get this one again. So I don't know. Maybe I'm blown out of proportion. What do you guys think? So maybe I am a little over the top about this one, but I think with good reason. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> did you hear, do you remember Duffy? 
you've probably heard by now. Probably it's pro- it's been on the news. I think for about a day, but my wife actually told me this like a couple of days ago. Um, that Duffy, that singer, you know, mercy, mercy, mercy. You know, you know Duffy, right? She was apparently drugged, like kidnapped, raped. And held hostage by some crazy motherfucker. I don't. I haven't read anything about it. I've just seen like some headlines and like the brief thing that my wife told me. But how insane is that? Everybody was just like, for a time, I guess people were like, "Where, where'd that chick go that sang that song? She had that really weird voice, that kind of unique voice. She did that Warwick Avenue song and uh, whatever, whatever else she sang, but." She was kind of like a hit, right? She was kind of like a like a like a new thing on the on the on the scene, and then she just vanished. And now we know why. I mean, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's it's I'm not even laughing. I just have kind of a chuckle in my voice. But it's just crazy that she was kidnapped and like held hostage, and just like she was like she was a slave. She was a sex slave for a while, by the sounds of it. Like that's terrible. And she hasn't been making any music because she's obviously so distraught and fucked up by the situation but i just thought that was that was insane um yeah just a crazy old world we live in man where you know people get obsessed i'm i'm presuming this was a fan right i i don't really know um there's a reddit on it Not much there. No. This says held captive for days. Just, yeah, insane. Insane stuff. I don't know what that sound is in the background, so apologies if you're picking that up. Uh, obviously, the other thing, there's a couple of things in sports, right, that we should cover as well because uh, – Obviously, they did the tribute at the Staples Center for Kobe the other night, and you know if you haven't listened to any of it, it's uh, it's really moving. You should check it out if you know Kobe, you know, kind of touched your life or influenced you in any way, shape, or form. And even not, even if he didn't, uh, it's amazing to see you know other people, you know, greats in in their profession. Uh, just give praise to to what Kobe was and the legacy he left and how much he meant to his family and you know all of the great work that he did it was um it was really incredible and you know Michael Jordan got up there and and he was bawling his eyes out and he even joked about you know creating a new Michael cry you know an MJ crying meme um that's around for a few more years but you know it was really moving to hear him say that everybody always wanted to compare Michael and Kobe, you know, is Kobe the new Michael? Is he better than Michael? You know, all of those, it was always that, right? Who's the next Michael? Like Grant Hill, Anthony Anthony Hardaway, you know, there were so many of them. Harold Miner, even back in the day, they called him Baby Jordan. Um, But Kobe was, Kobe was, I guess, the closest thing, but in many ways, he was very different as well. And during MJ's speech, you kind of understood that that he was chasing this influence for sure and he was chasing this legacy for sure but 
get his own way and his own determination and his own ambitions about what he wanted to do with his life. And just hearing that from, from, from Michael was amazing. And, you know, overall, I mean, Shaq was great. There was, uh, there was some really amazing tributes there. Um, you know, and they paid a lot of respect to his daughter, Gianna, and also the other families uh, that were, were lost as well. Uh, so it was just a it was just a great thing, and and now we can kind of, you know, let them rest, let their you know let his legacy be what it is, let his family heal. Um, but it just it still doesn't seem real to me that Kobe Bryant, forty one years old, his daughter, and what was it seven others, like two other families effectively, just gone. And you know he had so much more to do and I used to have a book when I was younger it was called Too Young to Die and it had legends like Monroe and uh, James Dean and and Bruce Lee and so on and so forth of these people who just died you know Kurt Cobain died before their time um, and they had all of this you know Amy Winehouse would be in there now and you know things like that but this is another one you know and a lot of those other examples I just mentioned were drug related or you know suicide and this was not this was just a terrible tragedy um this event was just you know there's no words for how tragic it is but we remember him as he was in the legacy that he left and that's the best way to remember somebody one when they pass you know the funeral and the mourning and the grieving that's for us ultimately right that's that's the way we we deal with what we need to deal with but ultimately the dead don't care about how we mourn them or how much time we spend you know curled up in a ball in a dark room and i bet you if you ask anybody who is on their deathbed coherent enough to tell you they will say do not mourn for me do not be sad for me do not be you know, do not be brought down by this. Celebrate me. Enjoy your life. Go on living. That is generally what I would expect the message to be from somebody who was, you know, just about to go. Um, so the mourning and the funeral and all of that, that's all for us. That's all a way of coping, I suppose. But oftentimes it can lead us down a road that is, you know, unhelpful. And I think that's a really important thing to keep at the front of your mind is the fact that celebration of a life is is better than, you know, dwelling on the loss of one. So that's what I intend to do with Kobe. But he was my last sort of link to what the NBA is now. Um, and I don't have the time or really the inclination to follow it the way I used to. I used to be a statistician with, you know, my obsession with basketball. But... Now it's too commercialized. It's uh, you know it's not the physical kind of raw game that it used to be. Um, there's still a lot of amazing things, and the NBA does phenomenal things as an organization. Not counting their bowing down to China um, on the freedom of speech thing that happened, but you know the NBA does a lot of amazing things and. I'm sure they will only continue to do those things, but from an entertainment point of view, I am now bored with it. 
and it's not something that, you know, I've got the highlights on my Instagram feed, but that's about it. I won't sit through probably a full game of basketball unless I attend one in person uh, ever, unless I choose to, you know, tune into the finals. But I didn't, I haven't even done that in the past couple of years. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a great send off for Kobe and, uh, and for Vanessa, his wife. Uh, and it was just a beautiful, it was just a beautiful event. Uh, the other, the other sporting event that we have to talk about, stay hydrated, is the Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder match. I mean, come on. This is, this is one of the greatest comeback stories in all of sports history, in my opinion. From, you know, Tyson Fury being a man who was effectively eating and drinking himself to death just two years ago to now dominating the most dominant heavyweight we've seen in a, you know, in the last 10 years or so. Well, no, not really, because I guess Klitschko was also, you know, super dominant. But, but, but effectively like that, you know, Deontay Wilder was what, 40... 41 and 0 with 40 knockouts, I think it was. Right? And the only one he didn't knock out was Severn, and he did in like three rounds in the rematch. But he was this wrecking machine. Deontay Wilder is a wrecking machine. And just, you know, the way he knocked out uh, Luis Ortiz, basically shot, you know, right hand just cannon to the forehead. Everybody was saying, well, what happens? You know, is Tyson Fury going to be able to withstand that power again? He got knocked down in the first match, and what's going to happen? But you've already seen the results, so you know what happened, right? We've got a new heavyweight champion, Tyson Fury. He was spectacular in victory. He was technically almost perfect. But the big thing here was obviously the weight difference. Now, Deontay Wilder has come out and said it was the suit's fault, right? The suit, the suit um, weighed 40 pounds, and it took his legs out from him. He had no legs the entire fight was his claim, and that's why he said he wasn't hurt from any of the punches or anything like that. It was the suit. It's the jacket. It's the suit. He came down. If you haven't seen the walk-ins, you've got you've to check him out. I mean, he came down like... I don't know, some sort of a fucking weird character, but this thing was like a a samurai a samurai's armor from like 2070, right? It was all futuristic and shit and it was amazing, don't get me wrong, the theatrics in the entrance were 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 fantastic. But to claim that that took your legs out from you and that's why you lost is a really really cheap cop-out kind of excuse and really does nothing to give credit to the performance that Tyson Fury put on, which was spectacular. From the opening jump, he was landing his jab. And a a man that big who's 40 pounds heavier or whatever he came in as, I think something like 38 pounds heavier or something like that, that's going to do some damage. And he he was connecting often and he started early so that played a big role and you can throw this bullshit excuse about the mask and the suit being the problem for Deontay Wilder 
the other thing that was really interesting to me, and I haven't heard, I don't think I've heard anybody say this yet, but the really interesting thing for me in this fight, obviously the weight differential caused Deontay Wilder to become more tired, but the element of the clinch for me that was really, really interesting was how Tyson Fury was gripping Deontay Wilder's neck while they were in the clinch. Now, if you go back and watch that fight and watch other fights, boxers don't necessarily know how to clinch their elbow uh, and their forearm to their bicep effectively like the way you would in a choke. And I'm not a jujitsu expert, but, you know, I've watched a few fights. Now, Tyson Fury trains or has trained with Darren Till in an MMA in an MMA gym and has expressed an interest in fighting in MMA. We've seen footage of this. He looks like a monster. God forbid what he would be like at 265 with four ounce gloves on. Fuck me. I mean, that is, that is terrifying. But have a look at the way Tyson Fury was gripping the neck of Deontay Wilder. It was very deep. And deep meaning under the chin. It wasn't just like weighing, like a lot of boxers weigh on the head, right? They they grip underneath, but they're weighing on the head. It's about pushing your opponent down, right? Trying to make them stand up with, with force, you know, trying to prevent them from doing that, which naturally exhausts you. And if you're standing up throwing punches, you know, and also moving punches, moving backwards, you're going to get exhausted if a man is leaning on you and holding your head down. And that's why they say, you know, break it up and, 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 and don't be pushing on the head. Although Tyson Fury was definitely leaning on him and had a you know, near 40-pound weight difference on the man, for me, it was the way he was gripping the neck that would have restricted Deontay Wilder's breathing to a point where he would have been severely diminished much quicker than if he had just been lent on. If he was just being leaned on, he would have gotten tired, no doubt. Tyson Fury was enormous in that fight. But for me, in some of those clinches, when, when he had the neck, he seemed like he had a really strong grip on it and a really deep grip on it. And if he did, and I, I would have to go back and, and, and watch it again, I think that would play quite the role in then taking a shot to the head, like when he got clipped in the second or third behind the ear and Wilder lost his complete equilibrium. It was gone. He couldn't stand for the rest of the fight. It was very much like Anthony Joshua when Ruiz caught him in the first fight. Complete equilibrium gone. Like just wobbly all the time. You don't know where you're at. Your legs won't work properly. Your central nervous system is just not firing the way you want it to. And that happened to Deontay Wilder in this fight. So forget all that, you know, my costume was too heavy nonsense. It was a calculated strategy by Tyson Fury carried out to almost perfection. And he showed that there is a clear difference between the number one heavyweight in the world, the number two heavyweight in the world, and the number three heavyweight in the world, which for me right now is Anthony Joshua. I think Tyson Fury is number one. I think Deontay Wilder is number two because I think Deontay Wilder knocks Joshua out. And then Anthony Joshua. Now the smart money fight is to make the Joshua and Fury fight, right? At Wembley. 
and just pack that motherfucker out with 90,000 people. Will Anthony Joshua take that fight? Does he have a choice? Or does Tyson Fury retire like his dad wants him to? Who knows? I think one more fight does it. I think get that AJ fight, get that big money money fight. And then you can ride off into the sunset because I think Tyson Fury dusts Anthony Joshua. I think Anthony Joshua would have nothing for Tyson Fury. I just don't. He's not fast enough if he bulks up to handle the weight of Fury. He's been fighting lighter. His his rematch performance against Andy Ruiz was not spectacular. He just pointed him. And if you're going to do that with a guy who hits as hard as Tyson Fury and has the reach of Tyson Fury and the defense of Tyson Fury, I just think you're in a world of trouble. And yeah, who knows? Who knows? But that's definitely the fight to make, and we'll see what happens. But what a performance he put on. It was just absolutely incredible and uh i guess the next combat sports event we have to look forward to is um israel adesanya and joel romero if you're an mma fan if you're a ufc fan i think that's the next big one and or is it no is it tony and khabib first no i think i think yoel and israel are is, is in march and i think tony and khabib is in april I'm pretty sure I'm correct on that. Anyways, correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, whew, we got some we got some bangers coming up. And then you know Connor's gonna be right around the corner. There's um, there's now rumor that it's gonna be Connor McGregor and Justin Gaethje um, as Connor's next opponent. And I thought about this a, 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 just for a quick second. It was a glancing thought, but I wondered if Connor is actually picking these fights with guys who. One, he thinks he can beat, right? Because, you know, he's Connor and, and he's got the opportunity to do that. But they're not easy fights, by the way. I'm not saying he's like just cherry picking easy fights. And anybody that says Donald Cerrone was an easy fight for Connor um, doesn't know a fucking thing about MMA, uh, first off. But, you know, anybody that says he threw that fight, Cowboy threw that fight, again, just you should keep your opinions to yourself and not comment on MMA. Uh, mainly talking to Stephen A. Smith uh, here, but it feels to me like Connor is picking out fighters who are exciting fighters, who have been in the game quite a long time, who perhaps have been in some wars, um, who are close to potentially, you know, retiring you know one two three four five fights maybe left handful of fights and then bringing them into this world where just by stepping into the ring with him you're getting the biggest paycheck that you've ever had as a fighter right he did that he has done that for every single person he has fought i would argue since Do we want to say Dennis Seaver, maybe? So Dennis Seaver, Chad Mendez, Aldo, um, Eddie Alvarez, Nate Diaz, certainly both times, and Cowboy for sure. So the same will be for Justin Gaethje. It will be the biggest paycheck that he's ever had. So I just thought from my to myself for a second 
is that something that Connor's doing? Is he trying to get these fighters who otherwise without him wouldn't get the sort of paycheck perhaps that helps them retire and goes another way in life? I don't know. It's just a theory. I don't know. Um, it may just be complete nonsense. Who knows? So that's, I guess, uh, I guess that's the sports update. <laughs> if you want to, you know, if you want to call it that. Um, so I guess we're done. Uh, we've done about 40 minutes and we're kind of keeping it to that time frame. 40 to an hour. I think some of the interviews might go an hour, maybe even longer. Who knows? One thing I don't want to do is cut people off. Uh, so who knows what we're going to bring uh, in terms of that. But I'm aiming for sort of an hour because most people, if you're going to you know, visit them at their office or schedule a call with them, it's probably an hour max that you want to keep them there. In person's probably maybe a little different. Who knows? But uh, again, we're just getting started with this. So we don't know you know, we don't know anything yet. This is all new territory, but super excited about doing it. And I told you we've got dates of March 6th and March 13th that we will be recording them and then obviously publishing them on a uh, cascading basis. So that's about it. Uh, I just wanted to say thanks again for supporting the show. I'm super excited about the uh the the film show the movie show that we're doing i mean i'm super excited about the guests as well i can't fucking that's awesome that's this is exactly what i want to be doing i want to be doing this every single day you understand me i want to be talking to interesting people i want to be finding out what makes them tick i want to have some fun i want to bring you guys good content this is all i want to do so hopefully this is the start of something beautiful but i'm super excited for this movie show with my buddy as well and the plan of action with that is about once a month. So I think you'll get monthly releases on that. I think what we'll do is we're, we're going to release them down the same channel, Quiet Part Loud. It's going to be called something different. We're working on that. But I'm going to release it and just label it differently uh, when it gets published down the Quiet Part Loud feed. Now, obviously, if it grows into something that's different and it, and it needs its own space, we'll do that. But that's running before you walk. And we're literally going to get the first episode out in, uh, in a week or so. So we have to get that, see how it works. We've probably got to refine it a little bit, you know, maybe put some structure around it, although we want to keep it quite freestyled and, and just kind of loose uh, because I think that's how you'll get the best out of uh, what the conversation will be between me and uh, me and my co-host. That <laughs> sounds funny to say. Um, but I'm really excited about that. And I have to actually start watching some content because right now I'm very quick to kind of just, nah, done with that. Don't fancy listening to that. And now I have to now I have to sit through some shit so I can critique it and, and be able to speak on it because the guy I'm going to be doing the show with, he watches everything. He watches absolutely everything. And I used to be like that, but I'm not anymore, and I need to catch up on some bits. So I've got some homework to do, not only on the interview side of things, but also on the, uh, on the movie side of things as well. But I'm super excited, and like I said, this is all I want to do. So if it grows and we can catch some momentum with it, oh. That would be uh, that would be epic. That would be, that would just be everything. Um, that would be great. It'd be a, an amazing way to spend my time, uh, entertaining you guys and bringing you guys great content and thought provoking content and and doing it from a spectrum, right? Bringing you guys athletes and bringing you guys you know authors and motivational speakers and fitness experts and things like that. 
everybody's like, oh, you're doing the Joe Rogan thing. You're doing the Joe Rogan thing. I'm like, maybe, maybe in, in terms of structure, but I want to think that him and I are, are probably very, very different characters. And if, you know, if Joe is, is the blue whale of podcasting, I'm literally plankton. I'm literally nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm something that could be just scooped up in his gills. So I have no illusions of where I sit in the space. I have no illusions of, of, of the journey that's ahead, but I am absolutely looking forward to it. And I hope you guys join me uh, in taking the journey. You know, we've come this far. We're 120 episodes in. We're not stopping. We're only getting better. And, uh, and, and with your support, we'll continue to do it and, uh, and grow this thing. So uh, that's it. I'm going to sign off. Uh, episode 120 is a wrap. Uh, we are going to be back probably not next week because I might – well, maybe I'll do one on Wednesday, 121, and then 122 will be uh, the release of either my first interview or the first movie show. So stay tuned for that. If you haven't already, we are available on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Podchaser, Stitcher, um, and probably a couple of others as well. But wherever you guys listen to podcasts, we're going to be there. Um, soon we'll launch YouTube uh, and put some clips and whatnot up there. So you'll be able to get us wherever. And if you want to stay in touch, if you want to ask us any questions, if you've got anybody in mind that we should talk to or reach out for an interview, you can hit us up on Twitter. Uh, it's at Quiet Part Loud. And I'd love to hear your suggestions because, you know, if I'm running this thing on my own, which I am, and I say we all the time, but it's just me doing this thing. Obviously, when I bring the co-host in and the guest, there's going to be more of a team around it, but it's effectively just me. So if you guys have any suggestions on, you know, guests that are, are, are great conversationalists, uh, interesting, you know, they can add value. I would love to hear about them and I would love, uh, I would love to hear from you guys about who you think that might be. So that's it. We're going to sign off. Uh, but thanks again. We'll be back next week in some capacity or another. And, uh, and I hope you'll join us. So uh, until next time, guys, my name's Daryl. I'm the host of this thing. Um, all the best.